0: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Game Over. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. It's, uh, this is a little bit closer to what we're usually used to, but uh, the winning streak is over thanks to the Winnipeg Jets. But hey. The Montreal Canadiens clawed back from down 4 to nothing, then they gave up another four afterwards. It was a bit of an insane game, but uh, let's bring in our guest, Garrett Hole. How's it going, man? I'm good, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure, obviously. I mean, we I think I had you planned to come on even before the season started, right? We had this game circled, so it's been a long wait, but uh here we are. Mhm.
1: Yeah, I just said I'd take the Jets games in advance cuz I usually know about those players better.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, I was thinking about it as the game started, that the Canadians actually have, like, a surprising number of former Jets. They've got Armia, they've got Perot, and, of course, the big name on the trade market right now, Ben Sherratt, who had a banner game with a goal and a lot of power play time. Goal for his old team, of course, but uh, we'll... <laughs> we'll let him have it. Great bank shot by Mark Shifley. But this was an insane game because it seemed over like a couple minutes in and it seemed like the Jets were shot out of a cannon after hearing that uh, Ukrainian national anthem from the choir there and just fizzled as the period wore on and the Canadians clawed their way back and then it was just like in the end Special teams, the Canadians could not muster anything on the power play and the Jets power play was incredible.
1: Yeah, the Jets scored four goals on the first six shots and then I think the game was tied by the time the Jets equaled that same number of shots.
0: (laughs) That was, uh, yeah, it was a wild game. I mean, mean, people were uh, comparing it to the Leafs-Red Wings game the other night that I think the Leafs were up seven to two at one point, and then it ended up. Uh, what was it, ten to seven? Yeah. Final it's score right. on that one. So that one was even crazier than this one. But I, I feel like in terms of like the tide turning, this one might have been even more insane.
1: Yeah, I the the one that I kept on thinking about from a Jets perspective was the Jets. I'm trying to remember if it was 2011 or 12 or 13. It was in the Claude Noel era, and I'm. It was. I think the Jets either won or lost eight, seven against Philadelphia Flyers. And it was three or four goalie changes in that game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Which,
1: which got, yeah. Which got, when I was starting to think about the game, I started thinking about, there was no goalie pulled this game. Was there?
0: Uh, Yes. Sam Montempo oh, yeah, yeah, got yeah, yeah. pulled That's after right. it was seven. I mean, frankly, I think I would have pulled him a little bit earlier. I know he had a yeah. decent uh, second period there, but overall, uh, not great game for Sam Montembeau who, I mean the, the thing with the Canadians winning streak that they were on. And even before that, like, uh, like as St. Louis took over is both Montembeau and Hammond are playing really strong hockey. And I don't think that either of those goaltenders should be expected to continue that level of save percentage. <laughs> it's just not natural. I didn't expect Montembeau to regress to the mean in one single game. But sometimes <laughs> things like that happen. Yeah, I just was kind of what it got me
1: thinking because I remember that uh, Helbuyuk got shelled pretty hard recently. and I, I started thinking and I haven't looked it up, but I it seems like goalies are getting pulled less than they used to. I wonder if that's a real thing or not. I've never looked into that. I never looked into the analytics of that at all.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not true for Montreal. This was their 11th game pulling a goaltender this season. <laughs> Okay. I mean, a good portion of that, I think almost half of that are like the last five games of Dom Ducharme. Yeah. He, like he pulled the goalie every single game where like Montabo was playing injured. Caden Primo was just all over the place, had no confidence. And that was just a, a complete mess as that coaching situation resolved itself with Marty St. Louis coming aboard. But yeah, I think now is the first time. That they've had to pull it under, uh, under St. Louis. I could be wrong. He might have pulled Primo in his first game. I don't remember. But very interesting turn of events in this game. I, I will say, like at the very least, when you're looking at a team like the Montreal Canadiens, who are expected to continue to lose and get a high draft pick this year after the season that they've had, showing the fight. actually get back in it like you could tell even to the end of the game where like there is no chance they're going to win they still pushed it and compared to the early season where they would get down to nothing and all the shoulders would be slumped and everyone was kind of like half skating around it's nice to see that like they couldn't get anything done in the third period but overall I think outside of special teams, they played a very, very strong game. I know that uh, according to natural stat trick, the jets only had one high danger chance at five on five through two periods and the Canadians had nine. So there's good things, even in a loss. And like my go-to saying is always like you learn the least about a team during a blowout, like for or against, because oftentimes things just happen a certain way and it's not necessarily indicative of how well or poorly a team was playing. And I think this is like, you could put that this game in that kind of category.
1: Oh my goodness. I just looked at the expected goals uh, timeline for the game.
0: Yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, like the amount of power play time in this one also was pretty incredible. I think that, uh, If all games in the league were officiated that tightly, I would kind of be a fan of it, but it's kind of jarring considering how few penalties are called around the league nowadays to see like all the ticky tacky stick work actually get called.
1: Yeah. And then people point at this game and be like, there's just way too many power plays. I'm like, yeah, but players adjust. Look at the, look at the playoffs where, you know, they let more go, but power play opportunities are actually the same in the power in the playoffs as they are in the regular season because
0: players adjust. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, we are living in the era now of the fewest penalties called in the history of the NHL, as long as that stat has been tracked. We, I think this is the, yeah, tied for the second lowest power play opportunities in a season per game ever. Going Jeez. back to 1963. hm huh. Yeah. The last power The last four years are the four lowest years ever. Jeez. Yeah. So if we want to get more offense into the game, except for the Montreal Canadians, you got to call more penalties. And, uh, I mean, the Jets got that memo. The Canadiens did not, uh, we promised that we'd talk about Ben Chirot, so why don't we start off there a little bit? Because I know uh, he's someone you've talked about many, many times, Garrett. Uh, ben Chirot, the prize of the deadline. Why? Why do people um, believe this?
1: Because he's a power play guy now. Yes. I just I just looked at it, and I think Ben Chirot played more power play minutes in this game than he
0: did in any Jets season. That's amazing. I mean, <laughs> he should not be on the power play. Like, I understand they're trying to boost his value and say, like, oh, look, he can play in all situations. But he was a disaster out there. And I'm convinced that the fact that they started putting him out there to start every power play once the game was tied is that maybe they were thinking we don't actually need to keep winning. <laughs> maybe. Soft tank. Maybe, yeah, maybe we could just play this guy and he could keep, continue mishandling the puck at the blue line and we won't get anything done on the power play. I know they did have like one little spurt where he was on there. And I think he took a shot that kind of trickled near an open cage, but you know, that happens sometimes like he just cannot handle the puck. Like to me, put uh, Corey Schooneman out there. I think that uh, at least he can move the puck a little bit. It, Girard has his uses offensively like if he grabs the puck and just drives the net but most of that's like uh, if he can partake in the rush and there's not much of that on the power play and his like his primary utility offensively is his big body and his ability to shoot and if he's just handling the puck at the blue line and being a distributor like it just doesn't play to any of his strengths and if you're trying to boost his value Showing him doing something very poorly doesn't exactly do that to me. I,
1: I think I see why they might be playing him in the power play so much. So last season, he has one shot attempt on the power play and one goal.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs> 100% shooting shooting percentage. Shifley yeah. got a Gordie Howe hat trick. I mean, does that even, does it really even count as a fight? They just fell over together. Did, did Shifley the even how- get his gloves off?
1: he did but i don't think it was to do anything more than to hold the guy's jersey
0: (laughs) yeah that was chris weidman of all people trying to start a fight i saw people being like oh he's getting him for what happened with jake evans last year like chris weidman wasn't in the nhl last year (laughs) he wasn't here for that i don't think that's what it was about i think it was just a frustrated player going after the player who was right in front of him um let's see what else we got here uh yeah, Ben Cherot. Let's let's continue talking about him a little bit just cuz I know yeah. you mentioned you had uh, I'll see if I can throw it up on the screen here. You had posted uh, in DMs a graph that you made back when the Canadians signed Cherot which was it's just an evolving hockey comparison yeah. with uh, another player. <laughs> yes, I know you didn't. It's one of the automated uh, things that uh, evolving hockey does but uh, comparing Ben Cherot to another beloved former hab and, like, I was banging this drum as well when the Canadians signed him. I got so much pushback from certain members of the media. But uh, Ben Chirot is uh, an interesting character who, you know, had his time where he looked decent beside Shea Weber. But overall, even last year in the playoffs, which I know everybody wants to point to as the time that Ben Sherat is amazing. If you go and look at the actual results while Sherat was on the ice here, I'm going to put this graph up so that everyone can see, except for you, Garrett, because uh, you're on Zoom. But it's, I'll just be like, ooh. Yeah. Ben Sherat compared to Carl Allsner uh, at the moment the Canadian signed him. And the fact is, whatever you may think of Ben Chirot, uh whether you like him or dislike him everything that this graph says about his time in Winnipeg coming into Montreal has held true in Montreal. He is overall a negative impact player and has been the entire time in Montreal, especially the last couple of years. And the fact that he was able to kind of hold his own while Shea Weber was his partner doesn't necessarily speak to how good Sherrod is. So, yeah, I I I'm confused as to why NHL people still think that he's so good, but at the same time I'm not because I know what they value, and yeah, even like the narrative that he would take less penalties in the postseason because, uh, you know he's you're allowed to cross check and all that, and the tough postseason he takes more penalties in the playoffs. per minute he and gets away with out. a lot, but
1: yeah, there's just as many penalties called in the playoffs than they are in the regular season the only difference is the players just do more yep but the penalties are still called um yeah i mean ben trot's like an interesting character because and like the whole the whole subject touches on a lot of the times when you see players that look good analytically and yet are hated by that i test i put these in quotes or vice versa a lot of it comes to a discussion about style over substance. And it's not actually quite cut clean because you'll say, like, oh, style versus substance, substance so substance wins. Um, I can go further into that, but, like, you know, the reason why Ben Schrott's liked is because he's a big, tough player who knows how to use his body, and he'll, you know, push people around in front of the net and clear the net, and sometimes that is useful. And he has things that he can do that he is effective at. And I think people who use the quote-unquote eye test professionally um, are actually really good at, at detecting what players are good and bad at. Um, sometimes the issue is that they're not very good at adding all those things together into figuring out how good a player is. But at the same time, as you pointed out, Ben Shrott has his uses and he has worked out in certain situations. So... Um, both of the times that he's worked out really good is when he was beside uh, Shea Weber and Dustin Bufflin, two yep. players who are somewhat similar. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes the analytics um, community sometimes forgets. I don't think a lot of the people who are actually into the research and analysis are forget that. Um, maybe they don't quite often talk about enough about it um it's, a, it's definitely been discussed before but like the results that we see like that graph are specific to the situation they're in and they can be useful in certain situations um but because like you know like the aggregate value that a player is like how good or bad they are is in part into what situation there are and like when people hear that they might be saying like i'm talking about like oh how high they are in the lineup or how low they're in the lineup but it's like It's like, no, like, let's say you're, you know, we all know Ben Schrott's weakness. It's handling the puck. Um, The first thing I think I said to you when you asked me about what Ben Schrott was like, I was like, I used to track zone exits for the Jets, and oh my goodness, he hurt my brain because (laughs) of the fact that, like, he had had more icings than the rest of the team, I think, combined, or something like that. Because all he can do is chip it and hope that it doesn't ice. And, but sometimes, you know playing the puck like grenade is not as bad of a thing, for example, on the penalty kill. You can't ice the puck and get in trouble for that. It works. So like that's like in a situation where it works out for him. so um, sometimes different skill sets can be weakness or less of a weakness depending on the situation. And I think Ben trot can be useful to a team, um, not nearly as useful as the market thinks, and not in
0: as many situations as the market seems to think. That's the way it is. Yeah, and I think that was something that a lot of people noticed when uh, Joel Edmondson was signed by the Canadiens last year was a lot of people sold it as he's just like another Ben Sherratt. And you look at like the underlying numbers coming in, and it was easy to see that because he had an absolute disaster season the year before in Carolina where he was like by far the worst defenseman on the team analytically. And then he comes into Montreal, and he has much more of a – I don't know how you would exactly put it, but like a calm decision-making process with the puck compared to Charot, where Charot Sher- is much more hot potato-y. Edmondson would make quick decisions, but it was he was a better distributor. He wasn't the most skilled player in the world. He's not going to like shock you offensively, but he realized what worked. He kept it relatively simple, and instead of like off the glass and out, he was often like, "Okay, I'll just defer to my partner over here," or "I'll." find the forward who's keeping back and will like create space by passing the puck around a little bit. Whereas Sherratt kind of struggles to make those plays. So it's that zone exit, not even him doing the exit, but him creating a situation that would create a clean exit that changes how Joel Edmondson is viewed versus uh, Ben Sherratt. And also like uh, there's a commenter here who's always on the stream. We love you very much. Uh, 22 paper dolls but uh saying I think that chart was actually really good to start the season he was like the underlying numbers did hold that bear that out he was also playing with Jeff Petrie who had a disastrous start to the season offensively but his underlying numbers remain strong and Petrie has been like he did a lot for Edmondson last year too right he has continually elevated lesser players throughout his tenure in Montreal so it's it's hard to parse how much of that was Sherratt and how much of that was Petrie. But I do think when Sherratt focuses more on like driving the net and trying to be an offensive guy, instead of being the physical take no prisoners guy, he is a better player.
1: Mm -hmm. No. And yeah, I I think we realize that like, you know, players are good and bad at certain things. And I would say, it's not just about what they're good and bad at too. It's the decisions, as you mentioned, it's the decisions that they make as well. Like look at Edmondson and Ben Schrott. I don't think that if they're making the same decisions, I don't think Schrott would be actually much worse in making those simple plays. It's just the decisions he makes that leads to those um, plays, whether or not, um, and that's in part why you can sometimes see a player like him Sometimes, you know, in spurts, perform really well because maybe they start acting a little bit differently. And But it also can be, you know, with the player that they're at. Like, uh, one example I've used before is, like, imagine if you're, like, a guy who's really good at, you know, breaking the cycle, um, being physical, getting uh, control of the puck and winning puck battles and clearing the net. um, But you're not a very good puck distributor and or you're unlikely to make the decision to make the – the smart play in distributing the puck uh, but you're with a guy who is and you know that he's good and so you're like okay I'm gonna give it to him okay I'm gonna give it to him so like you know Jeff Petrie or something like that and you're like okay I know I should give it to him because he's good so you just pass it to him you pass it to him and it works out you know uh, maybe you shouldn't always pass to him but like it works out in the long run then all of a sudden you're with another guy and you know he's still maybe better than you but not to the extent that you're like not better overall player, but just um, better at you know that skill, that skill set, and you're just and you're both guys that like you know can break the play, but neither of you are guys that are going to make the decision to really um, move the puck well. And so, because that, you start making different decisions than you would in that case. So it's not just like your capabilities, but it's also the environment that you're in um, changes. The decisions that you make and so that's one thing that like analytics unfortunately hasn't really delved too deeply in um, we've looked at it a little bit and um you can see like uh some work that's been done on like different player types and like how you know that will impact the results um where we look at a bunch of different microstats and we kind of like subcategorize people into di- different player types and you say okay what happens when you get a passer with a shooter with you know shot or um, a finisher or whatever you know like all those types and you can start to see that there's certain patterns with certain player types and that certain players work well with each other and part of that's you know skill sets where some guys are good at some some stuff but part of it is the fact that it'll impact your decision making and like we're very good at adjusting for you know the, the players you play against and the players you play with in terms of their overall capabilities Um, but not so much into those type of environmental factors. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's where it gets like super complicated, right. And you're having to account for so much. It's one of those situations where like working for a big analytics company in, in the past, when you have so much data to look at and you're trying to account for everything, sometimes you've got so many data points and you're not even necessarily sure which ones matter that much if you if you know what i'm saying like how much does somebody being really good at stick checks matter in the grand scheme of like their defensive play right is it good to have a lot of successful stick checks or is it more important to stick check a lot because even if you're not successful at stripping the puck you're creating a disruption to the offensive pattern that's trying to to happen right or is your stick checking too often like putting you out of position because you're reaching like there's so many different ways to try to contextualize that kind of stuff that it's I I wonder sometimes with all of the microstats if there's almost like too many data points and you just get like mush in the end if, if you don't know how to properly weight it and that's where like the data scientists and data engineers have to come in and figure out what actually is signal and what's more noise.
1: Yeah, because we, you you tend to get two different types of people that look at like when you got large, large, large uh microstat data sets. Um from my experience also working with a um uh, both a player agency and also for an analytics company is um you get the guys who are like, oh these are the things that I like and want to see. And like, you know, um you know everything that, you know, a lot of Twitter And those type of communities will mock the decision-making and the ideas of people who are, um, even me, like I do all the time. I mock the the decisions that uh, decision-makers make all the time on Twitter and gets me in trouble sometimes. Um, But, uh, you know, like everything is with reason. And like, you know, it's, for example, it's not been, um, it's not been a weird idea for uh, people to, uh, coaches would put you know a certain type of players like a defensive-minded defenseman with an offensive-minded defense uh, defenseman and like you know they're trying to balance things out and you know they're thinking along the right path but what happens is like when you have all these like it's it's so much more than that it's not just about like who's one guy who's defensive like one guy who's like offensive like you can have two guys who are both you know poor at defensive the defensive game but like one guy is you know very good at breaking plays and one guy is very good defensively just because he's always in the right position and he's good at distributing the puck and and get, making that first pass and so all of a those guys work really well together um so there's there's a lot more to chemistry than just like you know did they play in the QMJHL together As like usually when people are like talking about great chemistry yeah when they're 16 years old they played you know like 20 minutes together um but uh Yeah, so, like, you you get, like, two types of people, one who are the data scientists, and they just um, use models to kind of, like, as I said, like, create, like, player types. And what you can do is you can create, like, essentially expected war models, not expected war in the same way as um, uh, evolving uh, hockey is, but, like, expected war models and saying that, like, if you put a player in this position, with these kind of guys, you probably expect him to be a three-war player. But if you put him with those guys, he's only going to be a two-war player. Right. And so, like, you can you can start using those kind of things to model that out. Um, and I, I think that's really good. And I think also um, micro stats are really good in terms of like um, one of the reasons why we like course and expected goals in the public sphere is because they um, they balance out a lot quicker than um goals do um you you get to a person's true talent level a lot earlier at that aspect of the game so it becomes a lot more stable earlier um but you add in micro stats you can get like even earlier than that and i think that's really good for that but then you get the other type of people they're just like i i want a guy that's really good in defensive zone okay he's got a lot of puck takeaways and he's got a lot of Um, not too many turnovers and a lot of stick checks. And that's when you get things like, you know, Chris Russell has one of the highest uh, zone X in the league relative to 60 minutes. And it's like, yeah, but the reason why he does is because he's in the defensive zone all
0: the time. Yep. Yep. You got to add that extra layer of context. Oh, Mm Peachy really. That was a classic I, I kind of miss him I'm hoping some uh, some team decides to bring him back because it keeps on getting the interviews may as well keep the old boys club running for another another run here I do want to mention that uh, somebody was saying uh, Josh Anderson's hat trick was a, a cool moment that gets lost in this game it's true I thought that he was uh, incredible in kind of getting them back into the game uh, somebody, Rob says You look gassed, Andrew, how's swapping the sleep schedule? My sleep schedule is fine after the Olympics now. It's not that. It's just that two nights in a row, my oldest has woken up with nightmares, which is just the snowplow waking him up in the middle of the night as it snows a lot here in Montreal. And uh, this morning, they woke up the two kids at six after waking up in the middle of the night as well, so... Just a little bit tired. It's a little bit later of a game. And also I'm like warm down here. Like the heat's going too high. So I'm just overheated. So that's why I look like shit. But thanks for noticing. Uh, the There's joys some... of children. <laughs> yes, children. They they take a lot out of you, as uh, as Garrett has found out. Yeah. <laughs> leopard print. Very nice. Leopard, leopard print jacket. Awesome. That's wicked. I mean, kids are fun. They're... Yeah they they like make you younger too because you get to do all the stuff that you used to do and they're really fun but also you're exhausted all the time um some uh see some talk here about Gallagher apparently a bunch of people are turning on him on on Twitter I mean I understand that people are frustrated with Brendan Gallagher he doesn't have a 5 on 5 goal this year which is absolutely wild like it makes no sense for who Brendan Gallagher is The five-on-five expert. Yeah, exactly. He's, like, literally one of the best five-on-five players in the league for the last decade or so. And just hasn't had anything go his way this year. I thought he played a great game, though. I know he got called for two, like, ticky-tacky stick infractions, but he had four high-danger chances at five-on-five. I thought he was a factor on the power play as well, even though he was having to, you know, kind of carry a second unit that wasn't very good that kept on getting played like a first unit it was a weird game for him but i think as soon as he scores one that isn't kicking it in the net uh he's gonna score a bunch it's, it's kind of the same situation that caulfield found himself in right where like as soon as he gets that confidence going the puck's gonna go in for him and he's been pushing it the last few games now where it looks it's closer and closer i think he's gonna get one very soon
1: that's a former Greater Vancouver legend.
0: Yeah, like Vancouver Gallagher. Giants legend. That's right. Oh no,
1: I was, but also I was saying Vancouver Canadians, a team that I used to GM. Oh really? Not when Gallagher was there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you would have been too Tristan, young. Yeah, Tristan Jari, Nick Patan. yeah, all those guys.
0: So good little run of uh, players yeah. getting into the NHL there.
1: Yeah, I think they uh, we averaged one player every
0: two to three years is what I. When I recall, so that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's your take on Gallagher Garrett? Because he's at an age where like decline happens. Right. And he plays a game where like clearly he's been dealing with some major injuries over the last few years. His hand got blown up again last year. I think it was the opposite hand, but like last year in the playoffs, he very clearly could not shoot, but he still played that like very key defensive role in an improbable run to the cup finals, you know, uh, this year struggling to score really had a tough start to the season. Uh, I believe he hurt his groin, like in training camp and then played through it. Couldn't really skate to begin the year, but finally seems healthy now. And is just like, nothing's going right for him. You think this is just like a total disaster year, or is this a situation where maybe things are going off the rails for him? I
1: mean, when you see someone who's been as consistent as he has been and also has a year like he currently at is, usually right away you're like, Okay, it's probably injuries. Yeah. <laughs> like it's probably injuries or the wife left him or something like that, or cheated on him, or whatever. Like I'm not making any rumors, I'm just saying that like
0: that's something that kind of happening.
1: Like they're humans and that kind of stuff sometimes happens. And Usually, yeah, usually that stuff kind of balances out how long it's going to take. Because, I mean, injuries is part of, it. like, one, age and declines exist. Two, um, guys who are known to be feistier and a little more, um, not necessarily physical, but physical and assertive um, tend to have more um, severe and sudden drops. <laughs> Their, their drops tend to be more like sudden, uh, out of nowhere. I mean, you look at a lot of the guys where, you know, th- there's been some historical UFA purchases where, you know, it's that gritty guy who's, you know, scores a couple goals and he's pretty decent. He's still a decent hockey player where he plays really, really hard. And then all of a sudden, like, those contracts never work out. And, you know, people will be like, see, grit doesn't really – do that well and it's not necessarily like there were actually players that were pretty effective for what they were beforehand but they just those 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 miles they they count (laughs) and uh so like i said age declines happen gallagher is a type of player that i expect the decline to be a little more stark than some others but yeah this drop is too significant for me to think that's something that's going to be long-standing
0: yeah. And then again, I said something similar about Blake Wheeler, and that turned out to be wrong. So, hey, he still puts up points, though, doesn't he? Yeah. Or is he not doing that anymore either? I haven't paid him a lot of attention to the Jets this uh, year.
1: The beginning of the season, he did not at all, but uh, he has been lately. Um, I think. And someone was, someone was making fun of the fact that I was saying like, "Oh, Wheeler's not been as good anymore," and they're like, "Well, he's scored like five points in the last seven games." I'm like, "Yeah, with a 0.22 game score, he's basically Zach Cassian. Sweet."
0: yeah he's almost at a point a game this year 35 points in 39 games i know that when i was doing some work for the winnipeg free press there was like a couple seasons in a row where wheeler was trending towards being just like empty calories and i was like this is something that the jets have to watch and like he's gonna decline big time and then they had a season the last year that i worked there uh he they had a season where they split him from shifley and he had this huge comeback year by the underlying numbers. And all of a sudden, he was like a defensive wizard again. And I was like, is the problem just Mark Shifley? Yeah, is the problem the, always just Mark Shifley?
1: The Jets have three players Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, and Blake Wheeler. And when the th- any two of the three are together, there is no defense whatsoever.
0: Yep. And they used to have uh, Line a in that combo as well, where it was like, just a lot of guys who are all offense, no defense. Yeah. It's a fun team.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're a fan, it's fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and you got Connor Halibut to save their bacon. They almost got yeah. things done there in the playoffs that one year, but uh, couldn't seem to get everything to stick around, that's for sure. Here's the argument, though. So
1: has Connor Halibut made things worse for the Jets by hiding the mistakes and the issues that they've had for the past three seasons.
0: Yeah, I mean we've we've had that talk, conversation about Carey Price for a long time now, right? Is like has did Carey Price make the Montreal Canadiens worse by extending like Michelle Therrien's tenure, despite the fact that he was a terrible coach, or Mark Burchard's tenure, despite the fact that he was like a wiffle waffle, middle of the road GM at best, and at worst he would make terrible calls. You know, yeah, it's maybe bad goalies are better. <laughs> for long-term futures for organizations. I mean, not bad, but not excellent, I guess.
1: I mean, they basically make and break coaching careers because look at every time someone wins coach of the year, check out their goaltender's save percentage.
0: Yeah. A commenter here about Gallagher saying that uh, probably because he lost Dino and Tatar and hasn't adjusted to his new role. I think there's an argument to be made for that for sure because, you know, Gallagher for a long time now, essentially would come into every camp penciled in on the top line. And this year when he came in, they put him on the third line to start the year, which is like pretty shocking. Like I remember being pretty shocked when they wrote out the lineups and he wasn't with either Suzuki or Dvorak. I believe he was with like Jake Evans to start the year. And I was like, is this really the best use of Brandon Gallagher? But that's what they tried to start the year. And I think he he's pretty solidly on the second line now. But the problem is that no disrespect to Larry Dolphins, but Laurent Dauphin is not a second line center. And I feel like that's what's kind of spectacular about this run the Canadians are on, is they're doing it with a center line of Suzuki, Dauphin, Evans, and Paling. And that's three fourth line centers.
1: Is center the um, most overrated
0: position in the league? I mean, what you're trying to say? No, (laughs) definitely not. I'm just (laughs) it's impressive to win with that center line. I know there's there's a lot of pressure on Nick Suzuki, which has been the case all season long, and something that, like, I talked about heading into the season, like losing both Kokuniyemi and uh, Dino, especially Dino. The insulation that he provides to the rest of the lineup by like that incredible amount of defensive work that he's able to do it's been felt you know it's one of the many reasons why this team has struggled so much during the year but i mean i don't want to focus too much on the negative because there are a lot of positives over the last stretch here and martin saint louis has them playing with a bit of fire that they haven't had all season but yeah this is still a team that has a lot of work to do that's just the facts It's nice, though, also that he's allowing them to play a little
1: more free too, Mm -hmm. because I I find in my personal opinion, like not like free, like pure chaos, (laughs) like you still have to, um, you know, have some structure within the game um, to get optimal results. But I think um, freedom within structure works a lot better than uh, the coaches who just, you know, start to clasp on things so tightly.
0: Yeah, and I know like one of the comments that he said in his like introductory press conference that sticks with me was he was talking about he wanted his skilled players to make reads instead of like operating robotically like a system like oh this is happening so we do this and he was saying that he wants his best players to be making mistakes because if you're making mistakes it means you're trying to be creative and I was like wow I don't think I've ever heard an NHL coach say something like that like obviously you don't want Horrendous mistakes like what Mike Hoffman did earlier in the game today. But the fact that he's not going to bench young kids for trying something, I think, is something that is worth looking forward to. And like we've seen the immediate impact on Cole Caulfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people get afraid of, you know, like the possible
1: negative impact of that. Like, oh, then they just won't care about like, you know, their defensive assignments and stuff like that. And about the structure. It's like, no, it's not like, like, I mean, these people have gotten this far because of the fact that they've played within certain structures. I mean, you're, you're playing s- systems, you know, as far back as Adam nowadays. Yeah. Like, I remember I I had a team that actually did really, really well, and we won our district because of the fact that, like, we were a PeeWee team and we played with a system and no one else was playing with systems in the PeeWee, but... <laughs> they work but they do yeah you still you it has to be a template not like a just overarching like everyone's just robots and just cogs in the wheel
0: yeah the way i always look at it is like a system can elevate your your bad players to be like decent but it might all like if you're really rigid but you're also gonna bring down your best players a little bit like everyone gets moved a peg each each way, like the top players get moved to peg down the bottom players get moved to peg up and in certain situations that might work. But yeah. if you're like struggling to find offense and you're really boring and getting shelled like seven to one every other game, maybe and also loosen things up.
1: And also who's playing like the majority of your minutes. Is it your bad players that you're trying to make better? Or is it your good players who are being sacrificed?
0: Well, It depends on if you're Dale Hunter and playing Jay Beagle more than Alex Ovechkin in the playoffs. Although, not that we should really uh, be talking too positively about Ovechkin right now. But that's a topic for another day. All right. uh, Anything else from the game stick out to you, Garrett? Uh,
1: I'm trying not to be thrown off by that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, geez. Maybe I'll read the comments. Okay. Playoff team since 2017 with an asterisk
0: yeah (laughs)
1: just reading that um yeah I don't think that team makes the playoffs with even like a slightly above average goaltender the Jets and like I think the Jets are this year kind of what they are the past three years everyone's like surprised about how they're I, I I I saw on uh um on 31 or 31 or 32 thoughts where podcasts were um they said that uh the jets are surprised how they're not performing that well this year it's like the team hasn't been that different for the past two years two three years the only difference is you know how just hasn't been as godly
0: yeah and that happens from time to time with goaltenders especially if you're playing a career high number of games in a in a season which is a little bit compressed still due to the pandemic like tough and the pressure that uh, Hellebuck's under is crazy to, to get this team going. I feel like the to me, the concerning thing for the Jets is like, I feel like they peaked at the beginning of that time where they were making the playoffs and have just been trending, not necessarily downwards, but they went down real sharp and just stayed there <laughs> and they're, it's, they have that combination of elite shooting and elite goaltending that makes them hard to predict, but it's not a combination that necessarily wins anything.
1: Yeah, I so like it, it comes down to the, my one and only article on the athle- athletic. Um, there's different aspects of the game that causes you to win games. It's goaltending, or sorry. There's there's shot volume for which is, you know, get as many chances as possible shot quality, which is make those chances as best as possible, whether it's getting them closer to the net, getting them better angles, getting better passing opportunities. And there's finishing, which is, you know, just being able to shoot hard and fast and accurate. Then on the opposite side, you got shot volume again. That's making less chances for the opponent as possible. Shot quality, that's, you know, reducing all those quality factors I spoke about before. And goaltending, being able to stop pucks more often than you should expect given everything else. Um, The reason why shot quantity ends up being a larger because like people were very shocked at the I made a graph about how much of the NHL standings is luck how much of the standings is um is shot quantity how much is shot quality how much is goaltending and how much is shot um everything else I think I said shot quantity quality yeah I think I said everything Um, people were they're like oh that's just because you know you're saying Corsi and expected goals are like really important i'm like well the reason why they're important is because of this factor and it's not because like in an individual game like a lot of those things matter way more like goaltending and finishing and such like that as we saw today with you know the jets scoring off of one third of their shots (laughs) um that or one quarter i think was the end result um like yeah that that causes the team to win but like here's the, th- the reason why the luck part was so big and why goaltending and finishing and shot quality was so small compared to what people expected is because a good goaltender is going to play bad way more often than a team that outshoots gets outshot
0: yeah you have one is more, far more repeatable than the others yeah it's
1: more consistent like yeah you know like yeah shot you want all those things you want shot quantity you want shot quality you want goaltending you want finishing but if all if all you're relying on is finishing and goaltending those are things that you know um a guy who scores you know high percentile shots is gonna go dry more often than um someone who outshoots does it's, it's just the way that it is it's just a little bit more consistent um and um you want all of them that's what creates champions is not, you know, there's no one other than maybe, you know, the Los Angeles Kings in history has been like a team that's like just lived off of just shot quantity only. Yes. Yeah. Count. But yeah. So, you know, that's, that's just the way it rolls sometimes. The way yeah. I feel like doubles.
0: their first, their first one, especially, they were just like, we're just going to, have shot volume on our side, and I guess they they were great at defending shot quality. I would yeah. say the LA Kings, and then they just added Jeff Carter at the deadline, and like there's there's enough shot quality for us. We got it. We're yeah. we're fine. We'll shoot everybody fifty to seventeen and score two goals. Yeah, <laughs> it worked. They got two cups out of it. I feel like that the game has changed, and you can tell just from the way D- Daryl Sutter coaches the flames like there's much more focus on getting better quality chances now and i feel like teams that play like the kings like you could see even towards the end of sutter's tenure there it like i mean the team got a little bit older things weren't working as well but it didn't like that style kind of went out but it's you need that and then you have to work on all the other stuff as well and obviously john quick didn't really pan out as the best gold hender for the entire entirety of his contract as the famous tweet says, but uh, yeah, how many more years than our gold him Oh yours? my God. And he's the backup now, isn't he? Who knows who two more years left? I think still poor John quick. He's better making than, his money. All right. I'll probably, than, yeah, true. <laughs> I'll probably wrap it there. It was uh, fun to talk to you, Garrett, before we uh, close up shop here, you want to tell everybody where they can find your work?
1: uh or my work I'm yes your work I, i'm semi retired actually <laughs> semi
0: retired
1: i'm basically like bob mackenzie cuz i'm just not as popular and not
0: as you know in it <laughs> but do you have a canned drink that we can try that you're hawking the thing is like i was like trying to
1: tell him like even before they came out i was like you have to do like a like jalapeno spice margarita like come on <laughs> whatever
0: Jalapeno margaritas are good. I'm down for that. Yeah. I feel like the like thing is though, like, one? yeah. I, I canned though. I we we had uh, Romina Schlaw from uh, Scorch Stack try it live, and yeah. she was saying uh, not not the best uh, the 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 Bobby margarita. I feel like it needs to be served over ice and maybe mixed a little bit. I feel like yeah. a canned mixed drink, it never really is what you want it to be.
1: Yeah, I I used to bartend and um, when those like, when canned cocktails first started coming in, I was like, none of them are good. (laughs) But, but a lot of them are actually pretty good at being an ingredient for a good cocktail.
0: Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we just got to spice it up. All right, you heard it here first. Spice up the Bobby Margarita. It can still be saved. We've only tried one. I haven't yeah. tried it yet because it's add not even. health,
1: you add some mezcal just you know, to increase the alcohol content and maybe Perfect. some actual agave instead of sugar.
0: <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Garrett, for uh, coming on here. I know you're semi-retired, but uh, I know that you've got some things that you still pop in on and always figure out, uh, or always check out hockey graphs, which is something that you helped create which is you know a bastion of hockey analysis so and also if you're interested in getting into hockey analytics a great place to start out they have mentorship programs that they do through hockey graphs as well so definitely check that out but uh, everyone thanks for staying up with me to watch this stream and uh, we'll see you on thursday for i believe an even later game before we bring it back down to a normal time on saturday we'll see